0: How's it going, Eugene?
1: Good. You just caught me right in the middle of me taking a big swig of water. Just hold on.
0: We have been going through water at record paces.
1: What do you think that is? This is this is not how I envisioned you starting the show talking about how many jugs of water.
0: This is this isn't how I planned on starting the show, but I, I thought I would comment because I'm I'm the person who orders the water. And it's, it's, been a little job. Bit, it's been a little bit of pressure because you guys have been going through it at a quicker rate. So you're like inconsistent water consumption is going on here.
1: And then you have to bear the brunt of it when people look over at the water cooling. and there's no water. It's like, why is there no water, Sharice?
0: Yeah. Anyway, I actually wanted to start off this exchange by talking about my CrossFit class this week.
1: Yes. How so, was it?
0: So I went to my first CrossFit class on Tuesday night. What is
1: what is your background in lifting? Do you none, lift?
0: None whatsoever. So this is my first, and well, let's not be so quick to say only, but this was my first experience with weights and I learned how to do a deadlift and I completely forgot that the bar weighs something. So when you corrected my idea of yeah, how much I thought Charisse, I'd been lifting. Charissa
1: was trying to explain that she was, she had two 25s on each side. I was lifting, And she was like, oh, I was lifting 50 pounds. Like, mm, the bar is 45. <laughs>
0: Which really explains how right now, like three days later, I am still sore. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. I literally I can't fully straighten your arms. I still cannot fully straighten my left arm. It's just ridiculous.
1: But I, I honestly like cl- crossfit, especially if it's your first time going. It's one thing to go and work like work out and lift weights, and nothing to do CrossFit because the volume is so much more than you're used to. Or in my experience anyways. Like uh... I was in when I was in Seoul a few weeks ago. Um, a friend Victor took, took me to two or three CrossFit classes and it was honestly like a ton of volume. Like it's way more than I'm used to doing and the weight's relatively lighter, but I I think I, I did, you know, the first day I went, I did so many pushups that I couldn't even strain my arms. Like I would lie down and put my arms over my head and it would hurt. And that was like that for almost, almost two weeks.
0: And you work out way more regularly than I I do. I
1: very rarely do anything chest related. Yeah. But yeah, no, good for you. I think CrossFit, honestly- Thank you,
0: thank you.
1: Depending on who you talk to, CrossFit has um, a lot of naysayers. I think that the volume itself, I having seen it firsthand and, and doing it, I can see how people get hurt mm-hmm. because I mean, you're trying to reach a goal, which is fine, but-
0: I mean, I felt safe like the whole time. Yeah. And actually during the session, I didn't feel like I was overly pushing myself. Yeah. It's just, you, but like you, you said, you have new to new imagine, actions for me. Yeah,
1: you have to imagine if you're really going hard at it, your technique is going to go, especially in that, towards the end there. Yeah, and I think that's how people get hurt. I had fun, but good for you. I Thank think, you. I think lifting is, especially lifting in that capacity, is like it's a really good mental exercise too. Once you get into it, like I mean, it was your first class, so you who knows how hard you're pushing yourself relative to when you're more comfortable and familiar with the movements.
0: If this is your first time tuning into Making It Up, we talk about different topics happening in culture. Um, usually that something is a little bit time sensitive. Eugene picks a topic. I pick a topic and we take turns trying to pull conversation out of each other. And we also things.
1: illustrate something.
0: Yeah. We work on a collaborative illustration. Now effort. it's collaborative. Now it is. Yeah. It used to
1: not be. Do you prefer it that way?
0: Um,
1: I feel less embarrassed about the output because I know that <laughs> half of it is being bolstered by your effort.
0: I think it's an interesting challenge for me to work because usually you do the drawing first.
1: Is it better that way? I think it is.
0: Um, I think it's it's, it's for different to... for me. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I would say better. It's just a different challenge. VS like just doing whatever I want, which I think takes less brain power.
1: Oh, so basically you look to me to set the set the tone.
0: Well, I think it's it actually takes more thinking to work around what you've given me than if I just attack a blank page. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to start.
1: Get us going.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about an article that came out on the New York Times Lens blog, which talks about photography. And they were kind of highlighting how there's a lack of diversity in the world of photojournalism. Um, And the main feature of this article is a group called Diversity Photo, which was started by a photographer Brent Lewis, who is the photo editor for ESPN's The Undefeated, he's a photographer of color and he noticed that often at different media events, he's the only one, or there's not very many photographers of color at these events, even though he knows a lot of them personally. So he's made it his mission to wake up photo editors and provide them with resources to hire photographers of color, which is why he started Diversity Photo. The organization, part of it is a website that is a database of photographers of color, but they are also um, in this to provide education, mentorship, career opportunities to different photogs and students. Um, some similar groups that we have actually talked about, I don't remember if on this podcast or in the Slack community is Women Photograph.
1: I think that was in Slack.
0: So that's a very similar group, but for women and The two groups are kind of working together, which is pretty cool in my opinion. The reason I picked this topic is because what I liked about this particular lens article was that it wasn't just a straight introduction to diversify photo. They also talked to different photographers of color a little bit about their struggles. And one of them or two of them spoke about something I have thought about, which is typecasting. How they're really talented, but because they might've been known for a specific thing that was related to photographing a certain race or a certain socioeconomic class that people, photo editors will only think of them in that perspective. So yes. to be more specific, it's like a- um, Like
1: basically pigeonholing them. Yes, pigeonholing hating. them. Yeah.
0: Like a Muslim Arab woman who is only ever sent to cover other Muslim Arab woman stories. Do
1: you believe that this, that I guess what what I'm interested in is, and maybe I'm getting ahead of the conversation is, what sort of ideas are they proposing to fix this? Or is it more a matter of having a, a, a body that is going to kind of hold people accountable?
0: So they didn't really, the reason I pause there is because they didn't really propose a solution. And these photographers recognize that it's kind of difficult. They want recognition, but they also don't want recognition for just one thing. So my question is, how do we, value diversity without cherry picking, without falling into like pigeonholing or tokenism.
1: I mean, I I look at it's it's been interesting because in more traditional spaces, I see this happening more frequently. But I would say depending on the culture, meaning like, oh, let's say politics, sports, fashion, etc., generally the more liberal the culture, the more welcoming they are to people of different backgrounds. So to use like what we used to do, like, you know, when in, in streetwear and fashion or whatever, you didn't really, this was never something that came to mind. It was sort of your body of work that was, you know, at the forefront of whether you get hired or not. And I wonder, I, it's hard cause I'm not, I've never been in a newsroom like a New York times or whatever, or um, like an ESPN. And I don't really know how they go about choosing their people, but also it, it comes down to relationships too. It's, if you if you don't have a diverse network of friends, you're really just going to be stuck hiring. If you're um you know a person of this sort of ethnicity, you generally gravitate towards the same people.
0: Okay, so I think I can break it down into two problems. So the first problem is the problem of having diversity in newsrooms and in media. Okay, and yeah, in that we all, regard, I can,
1: we all acknowledge that. Yeah, for we sure. acknowledge
0: that as an existing problem, yeah. right? that to increase diversity in newsrooms and in media. And when we say that right now, we're talking about the people who produce the media, not the people that are covered. Like this topic happens to be about like the photographers, the reporters, the people who are producing the content. So that's one problem. And I do think diversify photo is doing a good job in that regard in providing resources for newsrooms to hire people of color and encouraging people to establish new relationships outside of their comfort zone. I think that first photo is doing that.
1: It's the route that needs to be fixed. The root. of, I guess that's what I'm trying to get at is that the lack of diversity in the newsroom and in media companies in general could be the starting point to introduce a more ethnically diverse series of photographers, creatives into the media space.
0: Well, like you were saying about the route is that, in order for it to be genuine, people have to start establishing relationships beyond people that look like them or people who come from the same backgrounds as themselves. So, but the second problem that I wanted to talk about is not that we've solved the diversity issue, but related to the diversity issue, how do you think about diversity without flattening that solution? Like, I'm just going to be really honest. We were talking about uh, picking panels for our sessions yeah, and we were kind of doing, we kind of found ourselves being like, Oh, we want like an Asian person, a white person and a black person. And that's yeah. like a trap, right? To yeah. think and of it I, that I think, way. I think
1: it's important for us to clarify that. And it wasn't about fulfilling a quota so much as what are different perspectives? Because I think every sort of, every demographic has a unique set of challenges and it's how can you bring those challenges to the forefront into the conversation you know and I, that's something that you know i remember I, I told you i'm like oh it gets to a point where you don't want to fall into that 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 belief that oh i'm this person's only here because of their ethnicity it's not about that it is about you know ensuring that your voice that might otherwise not be heard can be heard
0: i mean you've said that it's not about they're only here for their ethnicity. But at the same time, you're saying we are thinking about their ethnicity when we want to invite them because they provide a different perspective.
1: I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the it's weird, like even calling the checklist is wrong. It's just like the, the, the reason why someone's brought on board is like for a series of diverse opinions. And because there's validity in their opinions, right? Like there has to be some sort of, foundation there. You wouldn't just like pick some guy off the street because he like fulfilled a quota. There has to be, you know, your unique challenges meets a certain level of talent or skill. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be more proactive about ensuring that you're more rigorous in choosing the right people to bring the right conversation to the table.
0: I know you said it's not about ticking check boxes or filling a quota, but Is it that bad of a thing to have Uh, a quota in mind? I was thinking about that
1: too. I was thinking about that too. Cause like some people do look at that. I'm, it, it, there, there's the reason why I'm so sensitive about calling a quota is because it, it, maybe it undermines what you're actually trying to achieve. You know, if you're just trying to fill a quota and everyone's just a set of like numbers, that's, that's what I, I honestly feel uncomfortable about. It's like, yo, you, you can't just like pick and choose stuff to fulfill this quota because then you can tell people, oh, we, you know, we, I, I it's funny when you read these, like these media newsroom reports, like, oh, you know, compared to last year, we have 25% more Latinos working in the newsroom. Like, I think that but is not is what I'm trying it weird? to champion. I just feel it's weird to like, just, just focus on on that metric. You know? But
0: maybe this this is what I'm struggling with is like, I, I, I can understand where you're coming from. Like, it sounds weird to say we're X percent more diverse or are, you know, our newsroom is this percent minorities, but maybe we are still in an age where that's necessary.
1: I don't know. I don't have the answer for it, but I I, I do think that I I appreciate that you brought this up and questioned whether it's actually that bad of a thing.
0: Well, also because we are an all Asian newsroom,
1: well, or I don't
0: know if you want to call it a newsroom. We're
1: an all Asian media outlet for the most part. I mean, there's a lot of Asian people, that, but there's also a lot of other contributors that aren't. It just so happens that being where we are. Right,
0: but. but I'm not Okay, but you see you already I only meant to say that as a fact. Like this is it what is we fact. this is what we are. Regardless of our contributors, our full-time staff that are in office are Asian. And that's a fact of it. So do you think about if there are two people who can do a job equally well and one is Asian and one is not that you should hire the person who is not because they would bring a different perspective.
1: I think that that's a that's always going to be a very difficult question because the complexities of hiring there never is that sort of either this or that and then the same person. You know what I mean? The same they have the exact same things on the table, but to that point, I it has to be a, a non-issue, right?
0: I actually kind of want to go. I know I opened up that question about like making specifically, but I do kind of want to go back to the idea of photojournalists who are shooting things that are maybe not mm, like, I can understand why if you were covering, you were doing a story on Muslim Arab woman, you would think it's a good idea to hire a Muslim Arab woman photographer. Mm-hmm. Okay. But like, let's say the subject is not specific in that way. Like the subject is something that doesn't involve race or a sp- certain type of people.
1: Sports, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Sports like, work. like
0: sports, like sports work. Yeah. And then, You have a bunch of photographers you can pick from. Wouldn't diversify photo and people who champion diversity say, like, you should use that opportunity to also hire photographers of color? Yeah. But you would have to be aware of that, is what I'm saying. Like, you would have to be aware as a photo editor of making that choice. Like, that this is a subject that technically anyone could do. It doesn't make a difference. Well, it doesn't make a difference in the sense that the subject doesn't really call for a certain kind of like you probably want a sports photographer, yeah. but not like a photographer yeah. of a certain background. Then in that case, I should check myself that I'm kind of equaling out.
1: Yeah. Well, one one thing that I was thinking too, as, you're, as you were mentioning that is when you're going out and shooting things, there is an element of cultural relevance in that as a photographer, your goal is to connect with people, right? And there's some people that, naturally have better inroads to certain cultures. And whether that's because of their socioeconomical background, whatever it may be, like those are all very real traits that come to the forefront. And I I think that to not have that consideration when you're choosing who you're going to use as a photographer, also that might not result in the best story. But then it it's it's a really complex topic because at the same time the angle in which you're choosing is also determined by the editor and the editor's own personal background. Like they need to really be aware of how to coax out the best output. Right. And I'm always going to argue both ways because it's not inherently bad to have someone from a different world come in and shoot something they're unfamiliar with. It's a risk to take, but you know, there's a perspective there that they might generate. That's a lot different than, you know, what you might get if, hey, this guy's been shooting sports his whole life. Like, you know what would be interesting is like if a wedding photographer went and shot sports, he might, they're kind of similar. You don't want to miss the moment, but, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how they would approach it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that.
1: That's the thing that I, I don't think there's a right or wrong way of doing it, but I I really look at, you know, what's been the the, the track record. Like it's only on one side and it, it doesn't help that all this Original reporting and hiring photographers, like it's not even, it's something that's going away in the, in the newsroom too. Mm -hmm. You know, like I need to reference it, but I remember newsrooms in the U S like they were asking photographers to just go out and shoot stuff on their own iPhone. You know, they wouldn't bring a photographer along. Uh, So you're, you're also looking at that. So it's not only is the skill of photography is being less and less valued. And that also means there's less opportunity one thing you said at the beginning and, and just got my mind thinking was, is there ever a point in time where, you know, there's an equilibrium or is it just always going to be like, you're always pushing, pushing, pushing to get a little bit more recognition? Well, like, one of
0: one of my solutions, one of my proposed solutions to both the general diversity issue and also the issue of, you know, having to, watch for your diversity quota is I think we need to just be aware at all times, like not just when we're hiring, but as regular people of cool people of all kinds of races doing good things. So it becomes natural to just think of the best person for something and not just this is the best person. And they also happen to be a person of color. Does that make sense? Like because our natural networks for us, it's skewed towards Asians, then that's what our database comes from. And we would have to stretch ourselves, not just like the moment when we're looking for a photographer, but just in general to try and put ourselves onto good work being done by people of all kinds.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I can really say about that is it it helps to have people come And bring themselves to the forefront versus us looking. And I'm not saying we look for Asian photographers. It's just that based on network, that's, that's generally what it is. It's your network. It's like, who are people that are, and I, you know, I'm going out and saying this very boldly. It's when you're an ethnic minority, it's like, you tend to stick together and like people are willing to help each other out a bit more and make concessions a bit more. Does that make sense? Like, and it's like, you know, you're just trying to help a a fellow Asian out and like, I don't like to think like that, but it's just the reality of it, right?
0: Yeah, actually that goes into, I was like debating whether to bring this up because I think there are like so many facets to the topic that we are discussing. But one of the things I I don't really feel bad about championing Asian photographers and reporters because we're doing our job in correcting an imbalance, right? Like maybe these Asian photogs and reporters don't get as much you know, bylines get as much work from other newsrooms and we can help change that.
1: Yeah. But I, it's, it's, you know, I never wanted what we do to be overly Asian centric beyond just where we're based. I mean, it does generally filter into the types of stories we tell and we have easier access as in being this part of the world, it's easier to tell a better story. Like I can't just fly to like, London tomorrow, you know, and bring you know a team of three or four people. I can do that locally here, or maybe like take a trip to China right and I think that's one thing that is definitely top of the mind is that I would love it if we could tell high quality stories and it it kind of plays out that way when you know there's certain productions we do when we're in the u s like in l a or New York, and it just lends itself to a much better story, but it's not it's not that any sort of thing, like, I guess for me, I've always been very uncomfortable with any sort of racialization of Macon. It is what it is, but it's never been about, hey, you know what, it's a bunch of Asian dudes that are doing this. I mean, I would never,
0: I would never describe us that way, but I also don't feel, because I'm reading this article from the New York Times Lens about diversity in photojournalism and thinking about ourselves, and I feel our approach to diversity is different we have a different problem. We have a different solution than what a newsroom in the States has. Like, I don't feel really critical of Like, you
1: don't think that it's an issue like, for us.
0: Like, I don't think that we need to go and hire, you know, 20% white people. Cause Hong. Well, actually what's interesting is because Hong Kong specifically has like a really small minority population. And one of the goals that this article talks about is to make, the newsroom uh, reflect the actual population.
1: Yeah. Is that the goal basically?
0: And we're not in error of that because of where we're based.
1: Yeah. So basically the goal for them would be, Hey, if you know, visible minorities represent, I'm just making this up 25% of the population, you would strive to at least have that represented. Okay. Exactly. So there is a goal. It's not like, sorry,
0: I didn't even mention that earlier. There's like a numbers goal. It, It, I don't, you don't want to call it a quota or whatever, but you could just say a reflection of reality outside of the newsroom, yeah. right? Yeah. So the stat I do have, I don't know what the stat is of visible minorities in the States, but minorities in the newsroom are 12 to 17%. And that's yeah. not, they haven't reached the goal of what the actual population is yet. Yeah.
1: Which is actually not, if you really think about it, it's still quite imbalanced. I mean, it, not yeah. in a bad way, it's just that that's the population distribution, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I want to use this last note. Um, It's been interesting. Like the last few days we've, we've received a lot of inquiries about, you know, contributing as a photographer. Okay. I don't know where it came from, but it just like happened, you know, uh, I must've been like three or four inquiries. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that's a great way for us to get put onto new work. Yeah. You know, like I said, for better or worse, like our network is our network. You know, it's not always easy. Like it's not a matter of snapping your fingers and be like, Hey, I want to go and build a network. It still takes time. Like I want to build a network into this space. It takes time. So it's always helpful when people come and put themselves on our radar. And I think that's a good way for us to, you know, find new ways to work with people.
0: Well, I also don't, I think what you're saying makes sense, but I don't want it to be misunderstood as the responsibility is on other people to come find us I think there is some homework meet,
1: meet us in the middle there's some
0: homework that you and I can do yeah. but I do know what you mean because we can't be cold calling photographers all the time
1: yeah My topic this week pertains to Polaroid Originals Returns as a new brand dedicated to analog instant photography. So Polaroid is a name most people are familiar with in the world of instant photography. The Polaroid company itself has been around since 1937. If you look back at its history, back in 1991, that's when it was at its peak doing something around $3 billion U.S. billion in business. And there's that sound, the sound of the shutter. The film being ejected. I think that's a really iconic sound. I think you'd agree, Cherise.
0: Can you make that sound?
1: No, I'll leave it for the sound effects. Is that right? No, but then there's a, and then there's a mechanical whirl of the motor that pushes the, the film out. Whatever. There's, I'll leave this to Elphic to, to sound design. All right. So for its 80th anniversary, Polaroid launches Polaroid Originals as a way to pay homage to the classic offerings of Polaroid and reboot the brand. Now that topic in itself, that last sentence is a little bit confusing. So I'm going to take some time to kind of run through what exactly that means because Polaroid has seen better days. Its return now is kind of with an asterisk, I would say.
0: Okay. My understanding of what happened is the impossible project Bought the rights to Polaroid branding and identity.
1: Correct. It, the, the, the whole licensing thing has changed hands more than once. So that's why I'm saying like Polaroid Originals as we know it is actually just a new name that the Impossible Project has taken on.
0: Yes. With complete licensing.
1: Correct. Like visuals, aesthetics, everything. For those unfamiliar with the Impossible Project, it started back in 2008 as a company that was trying to kind of preserve Polaroid's legacy. You know, they started as a reaction to Polaroid's announcement at the time that they were going to stop producing instant film. They bought all the old machinery for about 3.1 million US dollars and leased a production plant to create new instant film. So back in May of 2017, which is this year, they acquired the rights. By doing so, they got rid of the Impossible Project name and basically came out as...
0: They own Polaroid's intellectual property. Correct. So it's interesting because the people are not original Polaroid people, not at all. But essentially, they are Polaroid now,
1: yeah, because they have Polaroid that IP. originals. So that's why it's kind of confusing. Yes. Um, I can't say I know exactly w- in what domain they can and cannot use the name, which probably why Polaroid originals came. I guess that's originals not the point. On. Anyway, yeah. continue. There was a really interesting interview with Polaroid's creative director Danny Pemberton. And he had some really interesting things to say about the current analog photography world. What he said was Strictly speaking, analog photography never went anywhere, although the Polaroid photograph did come perilously close to extinction back in 2008. It's true that we've been seeing more interest in analog instant photography over the last few years. There are many factors behind this, but I think a large part of it comes down to the physicality of the object itself and the fact that it's a one off, an original. Because it's a chemical process that captures light, there will only ever be one of every single Polaroid you take. This fact alone makes each artifact special and valuable. Polaroids are scarce in a way that other photography is not. And for that reason, they come to represent much more than what they contain inside the frame. One photo could represent a summer, a song, a relationship. That's part of the magic of Polaroids. That's a pretty impactful statement, I'd say. And in a time when, you know, we've all had access to very easy, efficient photography tools. Yep. You mean, you're probably listening to this on an iPhone potentially, you know, like it's so easy to just...
0: Yeah. And just today I was sharing about the iPhone 8's portrait mode photography. Yeah.
1: So, so personally, I'm really excited about this. And what this means, I should have probably prefaced this, but the first product released by Polaroid's original is the One Step Two for $99 US dollars. And their goal is to make the process of Polaroid photography extremely simple. And especially since there's a generation of photographers that only really know tapping a screen. I think it's great that hardware is coming out because for the longest time like i mean beyond lomography there aren't really any other brand new analog film cameras that are out on the market
0: i was actually thinking about this and i don't know if you have a position on the fuji film instax i'm
1: familiar with it i I'm, I'm actually not a big instant film kind of guy
0: despite picking polaroid originals well, to talk about
1: <laughs> i like i like the hardware aspect of it
0: right no no, no. um so the instax by Fujifilm is really popular in Hong Kong. I don't know yep. what it's kind of popularity it's popular everywhere, is actually. In the States, yeah. too. Okay. And it's essentially, it works just like a Polaroid. Okay. But I don't know about just like, I don't know the hardware behind it, but in the sense that you put in um, film that allows you to take 10 instant photos and you can't reproduce a photo and it comes out immediately. And it's, Everywhere, like so many of my friends have one. The of them. best is
1: when you go to a restaurant and the wall is littered with instant photos. Yeah.
0: So I, th- I mean, it is exciting that there's new hardware. There's like new cameras coming out, but I do think what you were saying about LeMography is not entirely true because that Fuji Instax has captured a large...
1: Yeah, I would like to see that at this point in time, there's more belief from traditional camera makers to come out who have released film cameras in the past to just explore it some more, you know, I mean, R and D's done. It was done like 20, 30 years ago. It's yeah. really about going through the production process. And currently the way prices are going for these cameras, like it's not unheard of to see a camera that was maybe a hundred dollars, you know, back in 1997 going for like $250 now. But on top of that, it's like, there's no warranty, right?
0: You know that we actually talked about this in our very first Making It Up episode?
1: I think we touched upon it.
0: Oh, not not like this specific topic, but we talked about Kodak in episode one in our pilot. And this is episode 16. So we're coming back to
1: this in a way. Yeah. And for me, there's something to be said about everything he's mentioned, like about it being very unique. It's a one-off, right? There's something that, that I think is is really impactful there. And, and I never really thought about instant photography and the one-off element of it, of it being very unique and special. It's kind of a nice artistic note. Although I don't think that's the reason why you would necessarily take it all the time. It is a fun experience. Like everything I mentioned, even the Maybe fact we talked about it's not
0: an artistic note so much as a parameter. It's a limitation to the way you produce that will make you produce differently than with something where, you know, the parameter is different.
1: Could you clarify that? And like, give an like example? with
0: a DSLR, you know, that you can take hundreds of photos in, in a photo shoot to get the one right one, but with something that's a one off, you just naturally are going to be more considerate of each shot.
1: Yeah, that's true too. I was, uh, I'm in this film WhatsApp group and Shoutouts to Sean Markley because he shared this uh, this comment where someone was asking, "Are they going to create pack film?" Because and if you're not familiar with pack film, it's the one where you peel apart. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting was that you know without that, that's sort of like the definitive sort of like almost like a prosumer level. I think. I mean, I might be wrong, but he was just saying how for certain medium format cameras. They would use that to check their studio lighting back in the day Mm. and then load the real film after. So that's kind of interesting too, that there's all these different, um, there's these different use cases that are kind of bubbling up.
0: Or maybe the one off also stretches the way you think about the photo because with something where you can get the result immediately, you can double check and adjust. But with the one off, you, you don't have that liberty.
1: Yeah. Well, I, one thing that I I haven't seen a ton of, and you know, I've never, I haven't really seen a ton of more artistic photography taken with instant film. Like I usually, when I think of instant film, like the Instax, it's really just portraits of friends. Like there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but it's, it's just that I've never really taken it that seriously because it's really just people that wanted to, it's like almost I, I liken it to sticker photos in the booth that you oh, go to, yeah, right? That's why I felt I lacked a sense of seriousness because it was really just there for, you know, showcasing, oh, this is me. This, is, These are my friends and I.
0: What I have seen that you might think of as more conceptual or more artistic that uses Instant photography is something that's part of a greater concept or a greater series, so that it's not so much like what's depicted, so much as using this medium to illustrate something, such as you take a self portrait every day for a year using instant photos, which I think has a different effect than if you did that on your iPhone.
1: Yeah. For you personally, Mm -hmm. would you be interested in pursuing film photography with more and more options out in the market? I mean, first off, do you understand what is the benefit of, say, film photography?
0: I actually kind of wonder, do you know the price point?
1: $99 for the One Step 2.
0: Yeah? yeah? How about film?
1: I think it's like 16 bucks for an 8 or 10 pack. It's not cheap, but...
0: Yeah. There is that too for film photography. It's the film is an extra cost. So that's one thing I would think about the price point. Just To that
1: point before you move yeah. on... I- there's a misnomer about pricing with film photography because, and this is subject to debate, but let's say that you were wanting to get into film photography, right? The cost of buying a, a quality setup, you know, I'm not saying you're, you're buying like an M7 and like a glass, but if you want to get into film photography, the barriers to entry are quite low. Like if you wanted to buy like an SLR for like 200 bucks, right, with, with high quality glass, If you start adding it up, like it might cost you 200 bucks and to buy a comparable setup might, might start pushing into like a few thousand dollars. There you have like a buffer that you can spend on film development and buying film.
0: Well, but I don't think people think like that. Like
1: they might not, but I think it's worth bringing up because it's not as expensive as you think it is.
0: Okay. But it is an ongoing expenditure of money via a one-off expense. Correct. And and I know that you're thinking about this very analytically, like the sum total, you you can buy lots of film for the amount of like a digital camera, camera but that's like not how people think about it. They think, oh, I have to spend like 16 bucks. Anyway. So one, I would think about the price. Yeah. Okay. And whether I wanted to purchase an instant camera or a film camera. Um, Two, I'd also just wonder about, Well, for me, it would be a hobby. Even though I'm a creative, I wouldn't be doing this in some professional aspect. So I would be taking it up as a kind of new hobby. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it's a hobby that requires, I mean, like other hobbies, some kind of time investment, right? Like you have to make a decision. I'm going to take this camera out. I'm going to go out and try to get some photos. I think what is different in this conversation VS four months ago, when we were talking about Kodak is we talked a little bit in that conversation about how using film is almost pretentious in a way.
1: Some people make it pretentious. Like there are
0: aspects of the film photography corners of the internet that are a little bit like, oh, I shoot film, so I'm better than you. You can't deny that this exists. 35
1: millimeter Okay.
0: Yeah. See, like there is this. Yeah,
1: that exists. I'm not
0: saying you and the people you know are exactly like this, but there are those vibes yeah, in parts of the internet. And hopefully with more of this, you know, Polaroid originals, different camera, different camera companies going back to analog that goes away. Cause it'll be just another tool. It's just yeah. another camera. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to like rarefied.
1: Exactly. I think that the tool in itself is what I'm most interested in. I did. I did actually pick up a camera that I pre-ordered oh, not, just not, recently. Well, this, this exact one. So you picked too. up- Not for myself. When's it gift. coming? Oh, man. Uh, I was like, if it's
0: for yourself, we can play around with it.
1: It's Well, it's for Alex. <laughs> he, he, know? knows though, he knows. He oh, knows. Okay. I was like, so,
0: are you going to surprise?
1: He's like into that stuff. I don't know how else to- <laughs> I don't say it with disdain, but I think the way it came out was like, he's into that <laughs> stuff. You know? So, I, But it's um, it doesn't oh. ship to Asia, so I'll have to pick it up in the US.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. okay.
1: I mean, yeah, it seems like- He's gotten me stuff before.
0: He's going to like it.
1: He's a really big gifter.
0: Oh, does that gifting. bother you?
1: It puts pressure on me.
0: Okay. This is it. This is a small rabbit trail, but have you heard of the five love languages? No. This is a thing that I was actually thinking rabbit about. Rabbit
1: trail? You mean rabbit hole?
0: No, rabbit trail as in we're going on a tangent.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. This is have never heard it called a rabbit trail. Uh, what do you
0: call it? This is a sidebar.
1: Sure. Whatever. Whatever.
0: Okay. I was thinking about getting us as a team to do this because I I know I use the word love, but what it is is the languages you like to be spoken in as in like, do you like people to give you gifts? Do you like people to affirm you like those kinds of things?
1: Yes. Let's do it. All right. And
0: then we'll be able to better, you know, figure out how to communicate with each other anyway. But that's like what you're saying about Alex being a big gifter.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think we should end off. Cause what you mentioned, this this whole this whole show has been tangents. I feel, but regardless, let's <laughs> let's finish off with our user manual exercise. Okay, because it kind of falls in line with what you just said. Yeah, it does. So yeah, we did these uh, user manuals where I had everyone fill out their own respective personal user manual. Let me let me pull it up. I, I want to look at all the questions asked. Okay, everybody, listen up. If you are not in that conference room in two minutes, I am going to kill you. It's a quarter to five, and I have started to gather my things. Get in there right now, or I'm going to lose it! So each user manual is broken down into various sections, including my style. Like, how do you work? What's your style like? What I value? So when you're working with someone, what are things that you find very important? What you don't have patience for? How to best communicate with you, how to help you. So for example, you know, what are your blind spots that you recognize and you hope someone come in and help you out? And what people misunderstand about you. So Sharice, what was your takeaway?
0: We also all sat down together and had everyone present. Yeah. Yes. And had everyone present their user manuals. And the the common theme throughout all of ours is that. We really would prefer to be interrupted less. And yet, we constantly interrupt each other while mm-hmm. we're working. So, just this week I've noticed that we've all been a lot better about silently working and trying to actually focus and get things done as opposed to
1: I feel like I'm burdening people now. Now that I I know how critical this is to a lot of people, I feel yeah, I'm not But gonna, I think
0: in a good way.
1: Yeah, it's good to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Communication was a big one. Everyone felt they didn't have enough quiet time to just put their head down.
0: And I felt like it was weird group therapy where we were all being honest about what helps us and what doesn't help us without having to be accusatory. So like- Doing the user manuals allowed me to not have to like confront you. I'm just saying hypothetically, like confront you be like, Hey Eugene, actually, I just really cannot have you interrupt me 10 times a day. So instead of me having to approach you, I got to just do it in a presentation that talked about the ways I work best. Yeah.
1: No, I thought it was really helpful. Because otherwise it could have totally derailed and people in like, you know, 10 minutes in, they'd be, everyone's looking at their iPhones or looking at their phones or watches and be like, oh, this is boring. That's this true. has no value.
0: I think everyone appreciates each other a little bit more. I mean, we already are a team that gets on, but.
1: Yeah, no, good. that was that was really critical, I think.
0: If you are interested in hearing more about Macon and our membership opportunities, you can visit us at macon.com where you can listen and read to more stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture.
1: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, do us a big favor and give us a review on iTunes or share with a friend. That's generally the best way for us to spread the message. I'm Eugene.
0: I'm Cherise.
1: And this is Making It Up. How does that get you every time? You know it's coming now.
0: Uh, you're just it's just really funny when you do it. You can't even see yourself.
1: Okay. I'm gonna hold a mirror. I'm gonna I'm gonna put um I'm gonna do a selfie next time I record it.
0: You're not gonna find yourself funny.
1: Yeah. I generally don't find myself funny.
0: All right. <laughs>